Do you have something to say? Do you believe that everybody should be enabled, encouraged and empowered to tell their story? Speaking is power. As it's said, if you can speak well, you can influence. And if you can influence, you can change lives, your own and others. Welcome to the Let's Stand podcast, speaking up about speaking out. My name is Siobhan Fitzgerald and it's a pleasure to connect with you today. What a wonderful gift to laugh and to be able to make other people laugh. Pablo Neruda said, laughter is the language of the soul. I like little better than being able to laugh. So it's my absolute pleasure to chat today to the wonderful, humorous Laura Bruce, author, speaker and stand-up comedian. I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. Hello, Laura. It's a pleasure to connect with you today. How are you? I'm very well, Siobhan, and it's a pleasure to see you. Thanks so much for inviting me. So, Laura, I didn't know whether to say good morning, good night, good afternoon. Can you remind us where you're joining us from today and whether it's nighttime, morning or whatever? Well, I'm joining you from Wellington, New Zealand, where it is tomorrow. In fact, <laughs> it's tomorrow morning. So it's it's uh, it's 8 a.m. here. So I'm in a bit of a time warp here. <laughs> but Laura, um, we met in Toastmasters a few years ago. Do you remember that? Do you remember where we first met? I was wondering if it was the Dublin 2016 Toastmasters conference. Was no, it before but, then? Well, I don't know if it was before, but it was in Dublin. I met you on a bus. Do you remember that? Oh, on the bus tour. Bus tour. Do you remember the bus tour? The bus tour in Belfast, the Titanic that's... conference, November 2014. I wasn't sure if we had met at that one. Oh, that's wonderful. Was that 2014? It was November. It was November the 11th was the Sunday of the Table Topics Contest, mm. 2014. So I remember we had a moment of silence because it was Remembrance Day. Oh, that's in, right. Um, in the UK that day. So, yeah. That was a good conference. But yeah, I remember meeting you on the bus and I was intrigued at hearing about all of your escapades. Well, I heard about some of them, I think, at that stage. <laughs> and Camille, Laura, how did you get involved in Toastmasters? Well, it's interesting. I, I went to university with somebody who later became the district governor in Ontario in Canada. Uh, a woman called Carolyn Hoxie. And she must have joined Toastmasters right out of university. And I had no idea about Toastmasters for about another 20 years. And I didn't discover Toastmasters until 2014 or 2013 in Scotland. I went to this thing, um, uh, product time management and productivity for women, some, you know, evening workshop and um, kind of a networking thing. And as I was leaving, one of the women said, oh, you should come to Toastmasters. 
I said, oh, yeah, sure, when's that? She said, Wednesday night. I said, oh, I said, oh, yeah, uh, kayaking's just finished on Wednesday nights because it's getting too dark in Scotland. This was in um, October. So I went along the following Wednesday night, thought this is great, but we were going away. So I didn't come back again uh, until um, we, uh, I, they joined me, they invited me to join them for their Christmas party. And so I went along, I had a great time and I'd already decided I would join when I got back. So I joined in the new year and, uh, and I've been a Toastmaster ever since. So January, 2014, I became a Toastmaster. Wow, only in 2014. And Laura, you were taking part in that conference in the speech contest in Belfast. Was it the humorous speech contest or? Table topics. Table topics, oh. And you, you've since taken part in, in humorous speech contests as well, haven't you? Yeah, only successfully recently. I was, I was, <laughs> I was really? successful repeatedly. I couldn't even win my club contest. I didn't win a club contest in the humorous speech contest until I came to New Zealand and I won in my Christchurch club. And I was over the moon and I went on to, to do quite well at, at later levels. Yeah. You won, didn't you? Did you win the that district? I did. I won the District 72 in 2020 Humorous Speech Contest. Oh, congratulations. That's right. I remember I actually tuned in to listen to it. And of course, it was in the middle of the night, my time in Ireland. And I got a bit tired, so I hopped into bed. And then I got paranoid because I was thinking, oh, my God, did I leave my camera on? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, no, so I, I knew that you had won. I was absolutely delighted for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because Laura, I wanted to do an episode of the podcast on humour and humour in speaking. And when that came to my mind, you were the first person I thought of. So I'm so delighted. Oh, that you thank you so much. Yeah, because I suppose I, I've, I've seen that humorous side of you so many times. And so, Laura, can I ask you, have you always loved humor? I have always loved humor. I um, I think my parents were very witty and there was a lot of witty repartee and some barbed comments going back and forth throughout my childhood. So the speed and the efficiency and the eloquency of these barbs was very entertaining sometimes. Mm. And I remember um, watching television uh, American television, which we got across the border into Canada from the stations in Buffalo, New York. I remember watching shows like I remember seeing, you know, Carol Burnett and Lily Tomlin on um, Laughing when I was really, really little and thinking, oh, isn't that amazing? You know, they're so funny. And then um, I don't know how old I was. I stumbled upon Monty Python's Flying Circus on the PBS station from Buffalo, New York. And I was so young that I could barely stay awake. It came on at 9.30 at night or 10.30 at night. I could barely keep my eyes open. And my chronic memory is seeing the opening credits where that big foot comes down. <laughs> and, then, and then nothing else and waking up for the closing credits. So it was such a struggle. That's how young I was. It was a struggle for me to stay awake long enough to watch it. And then one New Year's Eve, my parents were having a party. And so we had this big room at the back of the house that was for parties and there was dancing and music, it was quite loud. So I went into the front room with the television 
practice to try and get away from it all and stumbled across Saturday Night Live. And it was an episode where Dan Aykroyd was playing Julia Child, the, the, the American chef, and he pretended to cut his finger and he had a, he had like a blood a blood thing. He ended up squirting blood all over the set, and it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen. Because of course I had stumbled across Julia Child with her peculiar American sort of New England accent, and and so his parody of her was absolutely breathtakingly <laughs> funny. And and so that was I sort of thought these are my people. You know, I was just a mm. kid. I thought these are my people. This is my humor. And uh, and that really were the those were my first impressions of realizing how much I enjoyed comedy. And Laura, when how old were you then when you discovered that you were funny or that you could be funny? I think I was much, much older. I remember as a teenager, once my mother making a chicken, roasting a chicken. And I was maybe uh, a teenager. I was maybe 19 or 20 and yeah. my mother took the chicken out or she was putting the chicken in the oven or something and I was saying oh the poor thing you know it's only a this is just a little baby and look at it all there <laughs> the beautiful pale skin and plump and gorgeous and couldn't you just eat it oh no we are going to eat it and so I was like you know making a joke about how how lovely this little chicken was as if it was a baby and I had my parents and my sister, my elder sister, in stitches. And maybe even one of my brothers was home. And 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 I thought, oh, I, I'm actually quite, I've made them laugh. You know, this is really <laughs> yeah. quite fun. And how, how much I enjoyed that feeling. But it never occurred to me that that was, you know, anything other than kind of a, a happy coincidence that I made people laugh. Yeah, I don't know if you think that this is true, but I'm just thinking, I think that uh, people who are very funny have great imaginations and are very intelligent. Well, I think I, I would be flattered to say, yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> In your case. <laughs> I'm sure. I think uh, uh, there's a lot of humor that is to do with words and wordplay and being able to make connections across words. And so I think being able to process things quickly means you're the first one to get the words out. Mm -hmm. So having quick reflexes and having a, a lot of words to draw upon is almost like being, you know, the best equipped person at a gunfight, you know, so you've got, you've got everything you need. You, you, you're quick on the draw and mm, you've got mm. the, you've got the ammo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I see, look, I'd never have thought of that kind of an analogy. <laughs> I don't know pretty. where that came from. I'm not sure a war metaphor is so good for comedy, but there you go. Well, I think it works. But Laura, I know you've gone on to do some stand-up comedy in, in the last few years, and I'm intrigued by that. Can you tell us a little bit about it, please? Well, it's a really interesting story. And it's interesting because in retrospect, I think, how did I not think of it sooner? And I didn't even think of it. This is the funny thing. I went to this social media networking thing back in... Oh, 2013, and I met this guy, and I talked to him, and he turned. It turned out he was a big country music fan, 
And I said, oh, country music fans, they're the, you know, they're the best fans because they're the only ones who really buy records, you know, <laughs> so they're the most loyal fans. And uh, he was going to Nashville with his wife or something like that. So we were talking about country music and uh, and I, you know, I said about how I loved all kinds of music. And I think it became clear that I was quite knowledgeable about music. So a year later, he and his wife became managers of this community radio station. I think it was about to fold and they offered to step in Liam Christie and his wife, Lorraine, up in the Highlands of Scotland. And here I had I had not yet joined Toastmasters. And I think the um, uh, he said, would you like a radio show? And I thought, well, that's a that's a nice idea. You know, I love music. I I love to get on the radio and play records. You know, that sounded <laughs> great. And uh, but I thought, well, I also love people and it would be really fun to, you know, have a kind of an interview show. And I remember saying at the time, you know, something like uh, Desert Island Discs. And my wife said, Desert Island Discs, that BBC show. And I went, ooh, Desert Highland Discs, because of oh. course we're living in the Highlands. Yeah. And it was actually called North Highland Radio. And so I proposed this show and I wrote up a little show, you know, format proposal for them and they approved it. And, and next thing you knew, I had a weekly program for an hour. Oh. Yeah. And people would recommend people they thought would be fun on the show for me to interview. So the people would come along, they'd choose seven or eight songs, you know, I'd get the music mm. together and we'd talk and have an interview format and playing the songs. And, um, about two years into the program, Liam suggested this guy who was Irish. He was a guy from Dublin called um, uh, Connor O'Hara. And Connor was living in the Highlands. And I didn't know him. I'd never met him. But he was he was a stand-up comedian. He was doing stand-up comedy, you know, just as a beginner. Mm. So he came on to promote his show. He was appearing in a stand-up lineup show. And uh, the funny thing is that night, it was like the first week in June and we had beautiful weather and I was filled with the joys of spring, as it were. And I was so funny that hour on the radio. And he was not funny at all on that occasion. He wasn't funny, but I was full of witty repartee. And I didn't actually realize he was a comedian until the end. And I said, do you have anything oh. coming up you want to tell us about? He said, oh, I'm doing stand up comedy. And no, my exact words that went through my head were, if he can do stand-up comedy, I can do stand-up comedy. Wow. So I found out who organized it from him and they offered me a spot. And they offered me a spot in the first Friday in September. And it happened to be the Association of Scottish Business Women's Annual Awards Dinner. And my, my, uh, Highland businesswomen. I was the vice president. We were up for an award. There are two awards, actually. So I couldn't do it. So I said, could I come in October instead? And they said, absolutely. So I prepared a set. And duly, I went along in October, the first Friday in October, did my set. And of course, drawing on my Toastmasters training, I wrote it all out and I practiced it. And I edited it and I, it's, you know, I didn't know anything really about stand-up, but I knew you had to make the people laugh. You weren't there to tell some long-winded story with a funny ending, you know? So I practiced it and on the night I invited some friends along and I 
did really well. And I thought, oh, wow, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I think I like this, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and I got some nice feedback from people I didn't oh, know I didn't. after the show. Somebody asked me, could they, um, you know, they'd like to book me for another, you know, would I appear on their show? And I thought, oh, wow, this is remarkable. And, uh, and it was just the best feeling ever. So that was it. So it was two weeks after my 50th birthday. Wow. And you're still doing it, Laura. I'm still, still doing do it. Yep. Yeah. Getting better. Uh, I'm getting better. Yes. I didn't get much practice in the Highlands because the, the comedy shows were few and far between. And if they didn't like you, they wouldn't put you on the lineup, you know, this kind of thing. It's all very, very kind of tricky to get on the, you know, the five or six shows in a year kind of thing. So I didn't yeah. really start doing stand up. I didn't start doing it regularly until we came to New Zealand. And I started at the end of 2019, um, at the end of October, rather, 2019 in Christchurch. And yeah. uh, just sort of stumbled into a, an open mic such, sit, setting there and, uh, and met some other people. And gradually I was performing two, three, sometimes four times a week in Christchurch, which was brilliant. And it was really like, uh, it was like training, you know, it was like going to the gym to prepare for something. And uh, those muscles got very strong. So it was a terrific oh. opportunity. Super. And have you run into any situations, Laura, where you've realized that um, there's cultural differences in humor? Absolutely. There's a lot of words, uh, despite being in an English language um, country, uh, an English speaking country, the, uh, there's a number of words that are very different, um, have different meanings. So I actually do one in my in my comedy. There's a I make a little joke about where I'm from. Tramping is something we go to the next town to do, and hope word doesn't get back. Of course, in New Zealand, tramping is their word for hill walking, or what we would call hiking in Canada. So the idea of going tramping has 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 led to much mirth and merriment on on my part. <laughs> That's guys. And come here, Laura. Do you have a funny, a favorite joke or a funny story that you can share? Oh, I you know one of, one of my favorite jokes is actually was also my mother's favorite joke. Um, she tells the story of a, a, a man on his deathbed and he's got these four children and his, and his devoted wife, you know, circled around his, his bed as he's, you know, the last moments of his life. And he's got these three tall, beautifully formed children and one kind of runty little one. And his wife is next to him and he says, you know, come here. He says, the, the little one, tell me, you know, I'm not long for this world. Tell me, is he mine? And she says, yes, uh, on my on my life. And, you know. I, I, I promise you he's yours. He says, oh, I can die a happy man. And he expires. And she goes, oh, thank God he didn't ask about the other three. <laughs> and I think that's actually a joke from Dave Allen. And uh, I, my parents love Dave Allen. Uh, yeah. Uh, Irish comedian and and I think that was uh, that was my mother's favorite joke and I love that because it's complete misdirection 
and it gets you kind of on an emotional level and then it you know it shoots you out the other end <laughs> that's brilliant that's brilliant and Laura for your stand-up comedy then where do you get your material from well I am somebody who I think is very well equipped for stand-up comedy because I'm constantly irritated by things I see and things that happen to me. So I'm irritated by poor punctuation, which is everywhere. Um, you know, the things that don't have an apostrophe or they have an apostrophe in the wrong spot. You know, people pluralize words by adding an apostrophe S these days. These kinds of things irritate me. Um, uh, I observe things constantly and I think being a, an observer of the world is is how so many comedians get their material. Things that everybody notices, but maybe not everybody talks about. Those are the kinds of things that I find quite funny. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit worried now. I'm wondering, should I look back over the emails I've sent you to check my my punctuation. <laughs> Not at all. I could have written anything. But um, Laura, then do you have a favourite comedian yourself? Well, that's a really good question. I like, I, as a kid, I stumbled upon Steve Martin when he was becoming very popular. And I still have the records, two of his records. Mm. And I remember thinking he was hilarious. And I, in, in, um, as an adult, I understand his form of comedy is absurdist comedy, which isn't the kind of thing that I do, but which I find very funny. I don't know if I would find it as funny now, but I think it was of its time. Um, who are my favorite comedians? I, I quite like um, uh, Wanda Sykes. I saw her Netflix special called um, Not Normal, and I found that very entertaining. I, I wouldn't say I'm not one of these people who's been watching stand up comedy on television and on YouTube, you know, every spare moment of the day. Uh, I, I would say I'm quite late coming around to, you know, focusing on stand up comedy as something to, to pay attention to or to watch. So uh, I think Jerry Seinfeld is very funny. Mm. What I like about his comedy is, again, it's that kind of thing that things we've all observed um, and he finds the, you know, the funny side of it, the, the words that make it, you know, unlock the humor inside something. Yeah. The, I, I, I don't know. There's so many people who are funny. There's a very, very talented comedian here in New Zealand, uh, Ursula Carlson, who's actually South African. I find her very funny. You know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's so many talented comedians and we can we can access them all now because of the the, the inter, internet resources mm -hmm. that we have and all of these streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. Well Laura as you know I'm a teacher and we do this interesting activity. Well I think it's it's not just interesting I think it's really important because it develops lots of different skills at school and it's called joke of the week. So we would have the students share jokes, tell jokes every day during the week, usually as they're having their lunch in class. So it's a social skill because I think it is a really important social skill. And then before school assembly on a Friday, the class votes for the best joke of the week. 
and then they share that at school assembly and they present it and they 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 seem to enjoy it and we all laugh and I think that's just a wonderful feeling to be able to share a laugh together and I'm just thinking in we have all different types of jokes that the kids come up with and some of them the younger kids come up with like just really weird things weird and wonderful and that's funny maybe for them maybe not so much for us and often we're the we're the brunt of the joke but I was going to ask you because I know you you talked about this a few weeks ago at a Toastmaster meeting could you briefly explain the structure of a joke this might be beneficial for for me and for some of our kids well it's a wonderful thing you're doing with your students isn't that brilliant to get them together to have a laugh you know because school can be so deathly serious sometimes <laughs> especially know. when you know they're studying for the their exams and the exams are so pressurized in Ireland I, I found mm. that when I was living there I was surprised you know it was such a big deal these exams we had nothing like that kind of pressure in Canada you know your yeah. life wasn't decided by these exams that you sat so good good on you for lightening the uh, the atmosphere there and their enjoyment i'm sure is infectious i was thinking when you were saying that there's a a, a quote i think it's from victor borga and it was uh laughter is laughter or humor is the shortest distance between two people mm. and i love that idea about the ability of two strangers to bond over a shared laugh you know it's just it gets us at the essential humanness of us. Um, the, the structure of comedy is something that's, um, at least in stand-up, the idea is to establish a kind of a pattern and then provide misdirection. Mm. So you can set people down a certain path and then you take a left turn. And the surprise is what makes us laugh. Yeah, you know, there are three signs my my marriage was was uh, was not going so well. Um, the uh, we we hardly went out for dinner anymore. We barely spoke. Um, his girlfriend started staying the night. <laughs> and the rule of three. The rule of three is a great a great way to build up some humor. So you do, you know, small, small, big, or yeah. insignificant, insignificant, significant, or you can do big, big, small, you know, uh, the world's a scary place at the moment. We've got war, we've got famine, we've got snail porridge. <laughs> so these are these are some that's a, a a great joke structure and you can you can use that almost anywhere but the key in 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 stand-up comedy in particular is the surprise and the surprise is provided by the misdirection yeah oh that's wonderful but you know one thing that occurred to me recently and this was something i had noticed when i traveled laura so we grew up uh, telling a lot of Paddy Englishmen, Paddy Irishmen, Paddy Scotsman jokes. Have you heard any of them? I, I, I don't know that I know them called that. No, no. Is but it's like funny... an Irishman, a Scotsman, an Englishman walk into a bar. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, but... I know those jokes. Yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing, <laughs> the funny thing, even funnier thing was that in Ireland, we tell them and the person who always does the 
crazy or silly thing or funny thing was always Paddy Irishman in Ireland. And then when I traveled, I thought and, and heard people from Scotland telling these jokes or people from England, I thought, well, surely it'll be the Scottish person <laughs> that will be doing the silly thing for them. But it was still the Irish person. And Isn't I just thought that was very interesting to me because you'd mentioned there that um, humour was in your family growing up in our family. And I think in many Irish families, whenever we get together, it's always tell a joke or tell something funny or something like that. So it was definitely a big part of growing up for me as well. I was very interested there, Laura, when you said about school and your school, well, how school experience can be so serious. And it definitely is in many, many instances here in Ireland. But I ask all the guests, Laura, about their experience of school. So I'm just wondering, what was your experience of school? Were you encouraged to speak up? Were you encouraged to be funny? That's interesting. Uh, my main experience of school is of being bored. I'm the youngest in my family and my brothers and sisters taught me to read and to do maths. So I went to school already knowing how to read and knowing my times tables up to the twelves in kindergarten. Wow. So wow. I was, you know, I was four when I started school, completely able to read and do all of these things that, you know, it took the other kids a couple of years to learn. So I was completely bored in school and it was a real shame they didn't have a, um, they didn't have any kind of precedent for putting you ahead a year because it could have been mm. quite easy um, to put me ahead. In fact, my parents recommended it to the principal. He said, oh, well, we don't do that, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, so I was bored most of the time. And I developed very poor work habits um, around my uh, doing homework and things because I could do them so quickly. And mm. I didn't really have to pay attention in school to do anything. But I remember we gave a speech in grade seven. My, um, my teacher, Mrs. Auberton, gave us a project to do a speech. And so I, I wrote a speech and it was kind of a funny speech, actually, looking back now. And I remember thinking, well, this is kind of fun, you know, writing something and then kind of performing it but I only ever did it once we didn't do any public speaking in high school although my first year in high school that almost the first week I joined the debating team and I was recounting yesterday how I joined the debating team we went away to Toronto competed against all the schools in southern Ontario and won first place in this debating competition and um and then I never debated again. <laughs> so I was, I was, I don't know, I was encouraged to speak up per se, but these couple of opportunities that I had, I quite enjoyed, but I never persisted. It's interesting because I have had parents say to me a few times, ask me for my advice about which play school, which is before primary school, to send their kids to because they might say, because in this one they cover all the ABCs and they introduce uh, maths and language. And in this one, they do something else. But I would always say to them, I wouldn't send them to either. I'd send them somewhere where they play. It's play school. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be learning those things before school because one of my biggest fears is that when they do come to school, knowing too much of that stuff that they're gonna learn at school anyway, that they will just sit back. 
they will sit back and they'll get bored because they know it already. I mean, it sounds a little bit like what might have happened. I don't know, but in your situation, um, you know. Well, you, I was you a were... voracious reader as a kid. Yeah. And I think, you know, there were books all around in our house. That place was full of books. And you can see behind me, you know, it hasn't changed. Um, the uh, reading was a great pleasure for me as a kid. So part of my, my play, even at a young age, was reading. Yeah. Being read stories and reading stories to my, you know, myself. I wonder, did all of that feed into your imagination and your humor and all of that as well? Because it's, it's again, it's something that we're always saying to parents about reading more at home and just encouraging their kids to read for pleasure, not for any other reason, but just mm -hmm. read for pleasure and read what you're interested in. But Laura, was there anything humorous about school at all? No. Not really, no. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. I don't think there was anything humorous about school. I mean, it, it was okay, but I didn't enjoy it. I felt mm -hmm. like I was in prison. Mm. Isn't it such a shame in a way when we when we have to think of spending so much time in an institution where there isn't a little bit more humour, but it is what it is, I suppose, at the moment. And Laura, do you think that... Yeah. Do you think, is there such a thing as a person who's not funny or not capable of being funny? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people whose whose minds just don't work on that way. I think one of the, the basic requirements of being funny <clears throat> is you have to want to be funny. And you have to, it's almost altruistic. You have to want to make someone laugh. Mm. And I think there are people who don't care if anybody else laughs. They don't mm. care if anybody else is having a good time. There are people who seem very much focused on their own pleasure, their own interests, to the exclusion of everyone around them. Fortunately, they're the minority. But I definitely think that those sorts of people, they have no interest in, in, in giving pleasure to anybody else. Mm. So the idea of trying to make somebody else laugh would never occur to them. Yeah, that's really, that's really true. That's really interesting. Laura, so you're in New Zealand. Can you just tell us a little bit about how lockdown was for you in New Zealand? Well, it was brief. That's the key mm. characteristic. We went into lockdown on the 26th of January, 2000, no, 26th of March, 2020. And we were sprung by the first week in June, I think, because I had a stand-up comedy gig. Wow. So it was, you know, it was six weeks or something like that. And um, everybody was very good about uh, sticking to the rules. And um, it was absolutely deserted um, on the streets. Uh, I remember the first day driving my wife to work because she was an essential worker. And while everybody else had this wonderful holiday, I was I was up every morning the same time, always driving her to work because, of course, she didn't want to use public transit mm -hmm. to um, to to get to work. And uh, so it was just safer to just drive her to work and collect her at the end of the day. And so that's what uh, that's what we did. So I was up at six o'clock every morning, not getting any lions. <laughs> and uh, it was you know, it was fine. It was a quite a. It was a lovely, quiet time. And I actually wrote a book because I loved the idea of it being quiet. 
but I had a couple of close friends and relations who panicked at the thought of being stuck at home. And so I wrote a book during lockdown. I, I think I wrote it in about three weeks called Lockdown Living, 101 Ways to Stay Positive During the Pandemic. Basically just 101 short chapters about ideas of what to do while you're stuck at home. So that was a, a great experience for me because I'd often wanted to write a book, but there wasn't anything that I found particularly compelling. And I'm not a fiction writer. You know, it was going to be some sort of some sort of um, uh, a fact based book. So so I, you know, I was very I was surprisingly industrious <laughs> during lockdown wow. and so uh, and really, really quite enjoyed it. But it was so different here and so brief. I can't really relate to what it's been like for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I think you've been the envy of much of the world. Jacinda Ardern seems, seems to have done a fantastic job with her, her cabinet. And I knew that you had written a book. It's Lockdown Living, 100 Ways to Stay Positive During the Pandemic. Is it? Yeah. Is the title? yeah. Wow, wow. Um, that's fantastic, Laura. And you were also doing something called Corona Coffee. Yeah, I started that. Yeah, I started that the first day we went into lockdown. You know, I made a coffee at about 1030 in the morning. I'd taken my wife to work and I was kind of thinking, you know, now what? You know, this whole new world that we're in. And for the first time ever, I did a Facebook Live. I'd never done a Facebook Live. And I did a Facebook Live and I just thought, you know, like just to check in with people and see how everyone was. So, of course, it was already Thursday. I think a lot of countries, you know, went into lockdown right around the same time. And I just wanted to check in with my friends around the world to see how were they doing and, you know, to tell them what we were doing here in New Zealand. And uh, and a surprising number of people came on the Facebook Live and it was great. And so I did it again the next day and I, you know, I had created the hashtag Corona Coffee. And um, I think today will be day 440. I've done it, you know, 440 consecutive days since the 26th of March, 2020. Uh, wow. so we had our anniversary a couple of months ago. And I'm trying to think, should I wrap it up at 450 or 500? Or, <laughs> you know, the idea was, I think, also just to keep people entertained, who entertained a little, just a little bit of a little bit of crack, really. Yeah. During the during the bleak days, and uh, my friends in the northern hemisphere, you know, it's nighttime for them when I do it, mm. and I, you know, some people are quite isolated and they don't necessarily have anybody to talk to, and there's just a little bit of interaction, and it's it's fun, and it's it, there's always laughs. <laughs> yeah. Well, Laura, you're so inspiring for trying new things, the Facebook Live, and then using lockdown as the opportunity to write a book. Oh, my goodness. And Laura, I know you also have set up a new online Toastmasters club. Do you want to say anything about that? Oh, I'd, I'd be delighted to tell you about it. It's, um, uh, it's uh, as you know, it is devoted <laughs> to stand-up comedy and humorous speaking. And I thought about it, particularly during lockdown, Comedians were scrambling to try to get some kind of gig mm. environment. So mm. people have been incredibly creative. They've come up with these online gigs you can buy tickets to to help create some revenue. You know, for people who earn their their main source of income from performing stand-up comedy, lockdown has been devastating. And 
for even amateur comedians like me, I realized that my friends uh, in other parts of the world weren't getting any gigs. And so I thought, how do you how do you practice stand up comedy? How do you try out new material? And even in a place where, let's say you live and there aren't that many gigs. You know, when I was in Scotland, it was, you know, six gigs a year. And if you if you did one, you couldn't do the next one, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I thought this is a place where we can uh, as Toastmasters who are already, you know, good at speaking, who know the elements of structure and things, we could turn our attention and provide, you know, and uh, and and rather not provide, but uh, put our focus on humorous speaking. Because as somebody who could never win the humorous speech contest in my own Toastmasters club, you know, it was a it was a great delight to win the the contest and then go on to win the district contest. I thought there's lots of people who would like to practice humorous speaking, even if they don't want to do stand up. You know, a humorous speech is different from stand up. So I'm also I'm inches away from getting my distinguished Toastmaster award. And one of the things I have to do since the two clubs I've tried to coach or have coached have both folded <laughs> to fulfill this requirement, I have to establish a club. And I thought, well, there's no there's no time like the present. Establish this new club and get my uh, my little tick in that box. But also, it's been remarkable. We started in March having these week meetings every two weeks. And the laughs that we have at this online Toastmasters Club, it's called Online Uncensored Comedians and Humorists. So the ouch. acronym, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the laughs we've had and the people who've come along, it's just the most marvelous group. I, I mean, I, I succeeded any of my expectations already. So we're hoping to charter in the next few weeks and fingers crossed it'll go smoothly. I have to say, Laura, I so I've attended and I will be attending and it is so much fun every time I get to attend because it's Friday evening in here in Ireland, I think Saturday morning for yourselves. But I think even when I'm tired, there's no better way to finish the week than with a laugh because it uplifts you. That's wonderful to hear. You know, we we can't get enough laughter in, in the world. You know, it's just mm. it's the antidote, particularly now for the serious times that we're in and the the, the bleakness that I think can be become pervasive. We mm. really we need laughter more than ever. Absolutely. I'll put the details of the club in the in the description below as well, Laura, when I'm putting this together. And Laura, just we're coming to the end now. I wanted to ask you, would you have any particular advice for anyone aspiring to become a comedian, maybe, or even to write a humorous speech, but hesitating and hesitating and finding it hard to get started or to find material? Well, I think you, you have to think that what things make you laugh and if they make you laugh, they can often make other people laugh. There are some terrific books about stand up comedy. And I think if you're if you're looking to just make a basic start into stand up, I would start with a book. There's um, an excellent book by Judy Carter, who's an American comedian. She's got it's called the New Comedy Bible. It was published in 2019 or 2020. And there's also a, a workbook that you can buy to go with it. Uh, she just put it out on Audible. 
but I quite like having a hard copy of the book. And so I would recommend that. Um, there are, um, there's lots of books. That's a very good starting book. And she also does these weekly Facebook lives for people. And she has this thing called turn problems into punchlines where you take quite a serious thing or a problem that you're dealing with. And then we find the funny side of it in a kind of a group mm -hmm. discussion, you know, lists of three, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, and in a humorous speech, you have to remember it's still a speech. So it has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. And you have to make people laugh. I realized that when I, if I wanted to win the humorous speech contest, I had to get a laugh within the first few sentences. Mm. And I think once you can get a laugh, either in stand up or in a humorous speech early, you get that early laugh, then the audience can relax. Mm. And once they've already laughed, they've broken the ice, they're more likely to laugh again. Mm. So those would be the two, the two pieces of advice I would, I would give. I think, Laura, there's lots, there's so many public speaking skills that we use when we tell jokes or when we are delivering humor that people mightn't be aware of, like the pause and how we use our voices, descriptive language, all of those things. But Laura, I'm just thinking, so you mentioned as well about how you had debated, how you had spoken in public at school, but very little and you didn't persist. Um, but would you have any advice for young people about using their voice in general for humor or for other reasons? There are a lot of kids who are copying things, you know, like on TikTok. So you're imitating something that's already happening. And I would say, Get away from doing copying people <clears throat> and come up with things that are your own. Mm. You know, write a little story, perform a little story. You know, dialogue can be very fun where you imitate somebody else in your family or you you retell a story or a, a conversation that you had that made you laugh. Um, I think those are those are ways that kids can get some, you know, experience speaking and it also can potentially be fun mm. uh, and entertaining and and you know humorous i think that's wonderful advice and they can become comfortable being themselves as well because i think you you need to build up a certain amount of confidence in being yourself to be able to kind of speak authentically yeah so, Laura, we, we'll finish up there. Is there anything at all that you'd like to add in closing? It's been such a pleasure. Really enjoyed oh, this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me along, Siobhan. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you. What would I say? I would say to look for the things every day that are funny and just carry a little notebook and just write them down, dictate them into your phone. And before you know it, you'll have a number of funny little things that you can draw upon. That's what I do. I put them in my phone when I'm talking, when I'm, you know, when I'm driving, uh, I, I'll dictate something into the phone. And then these, these become little nuggets that you can then work on. So there, mm -hmm. it's always there. You just have to harvest it. It's, you know, it's floating around all the time. You just got to get out your butterfly net and capture it. <laughs> and then you can work on it later. 
That's a lovely image. I was driving to school with my son the other morning and he's very quick witted as well. And uh, and it's it's awful. It's for it's very interesting the way we might start a story between us and then we'll just build on it and build on it and turn it into something that's completely not even happening, but that just is fun. And we anyway, we saw a lamb, a lamb hopped out of a field onto the road. And I said, oh, look, there's a lamb. And he said, I wonder where's Mary? And, you know, <laughs> then I'd say, well, she must be at school. <laughs> and it's kind of a bit of silliness, but, you know, it gets the day off to a good start and a bit of fun. But Laura, listen, have a wonderful day there in New Zealand. I'm heading off to bed soon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Siobhan. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. On a somewhat serious note, famous Monty Python comedian John Cleese, he said laughter is a force for democracy. I don't know about you, but after that conversation, I feel so much better having had the opportunity to explore the importance of humour, but also, most importantly, to laugh and to laugh heartily and to share laughter with someone else. It's definitely the closest distance between two people. Charlie Chaplin said, and I would have to agree, a day without laughter is a day wasted. I hope this conversation has lifted your day and added a little bit of humour. Thank you for listening. The Let's Stand programme trains young people from ages 5 to 18 in the skills of public speaking. If you'd like to find out more, check out www.letstand.ie or email letstandspeakout at gmail.com. Until next time, think about what is your story? Thank you for listening. Let's stand speaking up about speaking out. But I wonder what would happen if you said